The title of today's sermon is, What Are You Afraid Of? Are you all note takers? You guys like to take notes? Great. Good. Well, we've got kind of some slides here that will help you see the main points of where we're going, and I hope that this will be a practical and helpful uh, message. It's one that I need. Living in Ukraine in this last May, almost every single night between 1 in the morning and 4 a.m., there was attacks on Kiev. Explosions of kamikaze drones uh, being shot out of the air or cruise missiles being shot down. Praise the Lord, they were shot down mostly. When all this happened... At one time, I saw one of them explode about a little less than a mile from our apartment window, a big ball of fire. That's something that can make you afraid. What are you afraid of? You might say, well, certainly not bombs. But we have internal bombs. They don't have to be external in order for us to be afraid. Maybe you're afraid of the downward spiral of society, the LGBT transgender movement, and what is society going to be like for your own kids, for yourself, for your grandkids? Some of us may be anxious and afraid of our financial situation. Are we going to be able to keep this job? Are we going to be able to pay off the debt that we have? Are we going to be able to have enough retirement savings? Some of us are afraid of being alone in old age. Who will take care of us? What will my health be like? How about the safety? Maybe I'll get an incurable disease. And when they do surveys, the thing that people are often afraid of the most is death. Now, you might say, hey, Bruce, we're well taught here in this church. We are not afraid of any of those things. And if that's the case, and you're walking close with the Lord, and you're not having anxieties or fears, then praise the Lord in your seat right now that that's the case. But that doesn't mean that this message isn't for you, because there's going to be other people in your family, your friends, who do need to know this message. So listen up in case it's you in the future or so you can help other people. And right now we want to answer the question, how can we overcome sinful or inappropriate fears? Key question today, thesis statement. How can we overcome sinful or inappropriate fears? Now, notice that I included the word here, inappropriate. Question. Are there appropriate fears that we should have? And the answer from the audience is, yes, of course. We need to fear the Lord. We need to fear sin. We need to fear displeasing the Lord. So those are appropriate types of fears. But today we're not talking about the appropriate types of fears. Instead, the inappropriate ones. And how do we overcome them? And to begin to answer that question, of course, we're going to look to God's Word. And I want you to look to Psalm 23. 
the famous shepherd psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 23. Famously starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But I want us to skip down to verse 4, because right in this verse, David talks about overcoming fear and how he does it. And I think this is crucial for us to be able to overcome anxieties and fears in our own life. Verse 4 of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David here is not afraid of the shadow of death, the thing that most people are afraid of the most, dying. It's lurking there. Nor is he afraid of evil in his life. And why is he not afraid of those things? Because you are with me. Let's repeat that together. You are with me. Let's do that one more time. You are with me. Great, I hear some kids joining in. Fantastic. We need to remember the basic but crucial truth that God Almighty, who controls everything, is with us. He fears no evil because you are with me. But he goes on to explain what comforts him. Is God's presence, number one, but details of that presence are the picture of a shepherd's staff and rod. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Maybe not everybody knows what a rod and staff, and what is the difference between those? Few of us have been shepherds, including myself. I had a student who was a shepherd, and I've learned that the rod, and I have an illustration I want to show you on the, the screen here, is on the left of this really basic diagram, we see the purpose of a rod. The rod was like a club that the shepherd could use to protect the sheep. It's an instrument of protection from dangerous animals. It could even be thrown, but usually was used to fight off danger, a thief, animals. And David is comforted knowing that the good shepherd will protect him from danger. God is with us. He's a comforter from danger, a protector from danger. And secondly, the other part of our little illustration here shows the shepherd's staff, our crook, much longer instrument and has that half circle at the top. And this was used to guide the sheep or sheep are known to uh, not be that smart, to wander off. And we as people can do the same thing sometimes, wander off. And the staff would guide the sheep. And sheep, I've read, actually are kind of famous for falling in the ditch. And this simple little illustration shows that crook being used to pull the sheep out of a ditch. And this is a beautiful picture of how our good shepherd will 
save us, pull us out of the ditches that we go into. So we do not have to fear as if we're a lost sheep by ourselves. We have a shepherd who's using his rod to protect us from danger. And he's using his staff to guide us and even save us as we fall into a ditch. So this beautiful picture has been an encouragement to me personally. At the beginning of the war, uh, Amy and I would sometimes travel between two buildings that our church has in our property in Kiev. And I can remember distinctly some of the evenings hearing loud explosions. We didn't know where they were coming from, where they were going, and if the next one could actually fall right uh, with shelling right on our church. And of course, that was a fearful thing, to hear loud explosions. You're in a war zone. And it was exactly this verse that I would sometimes repeat to myself. And I can remember thinking, the Lord is my shepherd. And going on to verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I would hear an explosion, I fear no evil. Another explosion. For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. God's presence, knowing that he was with me, helped me to continue on in that situation. And I trust that this verse will comfort you in your fears and your anxieties, knowing that the God of comfort, the God who protects us from danger, the God who guides us and saves us with his staff is with you. Knowing that the powerful, good, wise God is with us, gives us comfort. That doesn't always mean we don't have any fears whatsoever, but it gives us the ability and the courage to do what God wants us to do and keep going. And that's what the Lord did for us through this verse and and helped me specifically. So how do we overcome our sinful or improper fears? We remember that God is with me. Let's repeat that. God is with me. God is with me. Now, I want to share another verse. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 41. Isaiah 41, verse 10. And this is another verse on the same theme that God is with us and that his presence will help us in our anxieties and our fears. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The context of this verse is Israel is under threat. A country is about to invade them. Most commentators think that it was the country of Assyria. And for me, that was significant, having been invaded by another country, that this verse had that kind of context. And he starts out Isaiah by saying, fear not. There's about 200 times that the Bible says, fear not. 
in different contexts because this is a common to man issue. Fear not. What is the motive not to fear? The verse gives two motives. I am with you, number one. And number two, I am your God. God is with us, and he is our God. And there's three promises that God's presence brings with it. And the first one is, I will strengthen you. How does God usually strengthen us? Through his word, through counselors. But I especially like the previous chapter in Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verse 31, talks us about how God strengthens us. Famous passage, those who wait for the Lord. Those who wait for the Lord renew their strength and shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. So we need to wait for the Lord and he will help us to have strength that he's promising in this verse. God not only promises to give us strength in our fears, but to help us. And usually God's help comes through meditating on the Word of God, reading the Word of God, remembering the right verses at the right time. This is how God usually helps us. And thirdly, it says, I will uphold you. And he upholds us with his righteous right hand. Interesting phrase. Have you thought about that before? Why say righteous right hand? Well, right hand was usually the strong hand, people who are right-handed. So it's saying that God is going to uphold us with a strong arm. And it's a righteous arm. God, unlike rulers back in the past, the time of Isaiah, and now is a totally righteous, good, and just ruler. His right strong arm is not like human arms that can be perverted, can twist things, can do things for its own good. But instead, he is totally righteous, totally good, and totally strong. That's the arm that we have helping us and upholding us. And I like the parallel verse that talks about God's arms in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Speaking about his arms, Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. God is a hiding place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Are you struggling today? Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe the future looks murky. Maybe there's broken relationships in your life. Fear not, for God is with you. And he will uphold you with his righteous right arm. Even if you don't feel like it, it's there. The everlasting arms are holding you up. This verse, Isaiah 41.10, uh, was very meaningful to me some years ago when I was having my birthday party on, July, on, on January 5th. Uh, 
January 5th falls between the 6th and the 1st. You say, well, yeah, that's kind of obvious. But in Ukraine, the 1st is the most famous and biggest holiday in Ukraine, New Year's. And the 6th is traditionally when they would celebrate Christmas. And at my birthday party, I was seeing flashes all of a sudden in my eyes. And then some dark spots. And they got more common and happened more and more. So we called a doctor, and the doctor said, Hey, Bruce, sounds like you have a detached retina. You need to get to a surgeon right away. So we started calling around and found out that there was no surgeons, not even one on reserve, eye surgeons in Ukraine, in Kiev. They had all taken that famous holiday off. I finally talked to one of them who was vacationing in Egypt. And he said, Bruce, this is serious. You've got to do one of two things. Either wait until we get back, which might be a week or so, to do the surgery and try to hold totally still and don't move. And hopefully you won't lose your eyesight. Or get on an airplane as fast as you can and get an operation somewhere else. Well, you know what I did. <laughs> the next morning I was on an airplane. But as I sat on that airplane, there was a black curtain coming down in my eye, blocking more and more in my vision. So imagine, you know, a quarter of your eye you can see in three quarters, and then slowly it's less and less you can see, and this black curtain is growing. And I'm thinking of what the doctor said. If it goes too far, then you could be blind. I was fearful. And yet I started to remember Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear. I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And even though I was fearful, this verse gave me courage. And by the time that plane landed, it was actually in Berlin, Germany, I was able to call my wife Amy and say to her, Honey, this is a scary situation. But if it will glorify the Lord more for me to have one working eye than two, the Lord's will be done. That's the power of God's word to change us in the midst of fear. And I trust that you'll remember this verse and use it in times of anxiety and fear. I need this verse, and this verse is helpful. So we need to remember our first point is that God is with us. And that makes all the difference. He is a God with a righteous, good, and just arm that is strong enough to uphold us. And he is a good shepherd who will use his rod and staff to protect us, to guide us, and to save. Pull us out of the ditches that we're in. And I would encourage you to pray through these two verses when anxiety and fear come upon you. And to confess your sin. 
to repent from unrighteous fears and to turn to these verses for help. So the first answer to our question, how do we turn from and overcome sinful or improper fears is to remember God is with us. The second answer to our question, how to do that, is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Let's turn there. 2 Timothy 1, 7. Second Timothy 1, 7. In this verse, we're going to see that we need to remember that God has given us the power not to be afraid. That's our main point that we're going to get out of this verse. Let's talk a tiny bit about the context. In the context here, Timothy was not using his spiritual gift, but instead was afraid or timid to use his spiritual gift, probably because of his youthfulness, and other people were looking down on his youthfulness. In the previous verse, 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul tells Timothy, Kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. That's the context. And then our key verse that we're focusing on is verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Sinful or inappropriate fears are not from God. This verse is not a question, but a statement. So if we have those kinds of fears, we need to remind ourselves, this is not God's will. This is not from the Lord. Then there's a contrast, and he names three things in the second part of verse 7 that will help us to know what is from the Lord. Power, love, and discipline. These are the three things that are from the Lord that will help us overcome our anxieties. Let's look at each of them. First of all, power. I am not helpless because God has given me power. This verse shows us that the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in the Holy Spirit, to have the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, is from the Lord and He gives it to us instead of fear. The power that helped raise Christ from the dead is within us. So you might say, well, if that kind of power is in me, then why do I sometimes seem so powerless or so less like that? And our lives are kind of like a vacuum cleaner. You might say, really? I've never thought of that. But here's what I mean by that. A vacuum cleaner, if it's a new and a good one, has everything that it needs to fulfill its purpose. We as Christians have been given everything as justified, sanctified Christians that we need in our lives. And yet, if we unplug the power by sin in our lives, worldliness in our lives, bad habits, wrong thinking, then we won't have the power that really belongs to us So we need to plug back in by hating sin, confession, repentance, walking closely with the Lord, 
being involved with fellowship, being dependent on God, and being obedient. This is the way that we plug back in to God's power. Not only has God not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, but he's also given us love. When I'm afraid, usually I'm focused on ourselves. We focus on ourselves. And God here is saying, instead of focusing on yourself when you're fearful, we need to love others and focus on them. And this is a key to overcoming fear. Instead of spiraling downward, thinking more and more about myself, we need to think of who is it around me that God wants me to love and serve. And this has specifically helped me at times that I've been fearful, to pray through this verse and to think of who's here. Amy, my wife, let's love her, focus on her. And we each of us need to focus on those around us that we can serve, help, and show love to. And we need to focus on loving God. So not the inward focus, on me, myself, and my problems and what's going wrong, but an outward focus of love to God and to others is a key to overcoming fear. And the third word in 2 Timothy 1.7 that we should focus on is discipline. God has given us power, love, and discipline. This word can also be translated sound mind, or sound judgment. So we need to have discipline in our minds, in our thinking, in, over, in, in, in order to overcome fear. So how does this work itself out practically? We need to focus on truth, the truth that God is with us. We have a sound mind and a disciplined mind when we focus on that sinful fear is not from God. And remind ourselves of that. Focus on that God has given us power to live the life that he wants us to live. To focus on in our mind and discipline in our mind to love others. Another key way we can have discipline in our mind is to remember who God is. Remember who God is. Because oftentimes when we're fearful, God has become small in the background of our life and the things that are bothering us, the things that are, are, are bringing anxiety into our life have come to the forefront and they seem so big we can't see God or he's just tiny in the background. So what we need to do is remind ourselves of the true picture of who God is, how omnipotent he is, how loving he is, how powerful he is, how good he is. And we need to maybe read a book on the attributes of God that we remember who our God is to strengthen us and not to fear. We are having a disciplined and sound mind by bringing to mind who God is. And another application of having a disciplined, sound mind is to focus on what is real instead of what might occur. This is a big problem when anxieties come upon us, is that we start thinking about usually 
Not what's right now, but what could happen. What might go wrong. And you can always think of something that might go wrong. Because there's many possibilities out there. But we need to stop, have a disciplined, sound mind, and focus on today. And in Jesus, when Jesus uh, preached the Sermon on the Mount, he said, today has enough trouble of its own. When I read that, sometimes I think, yeah, amen. Today does have enough trouble of its own. Certainly it does. And don't borrow what might happen, troubles from the future. Because most of the time, those things don't even happen. And God hasn't given us the grace, if they were to happen, to overcome them today. The grace will come tomorrow. So, the second method of overcoming our fears is to remember that God gives power to overcome our fears. And we need to pray through this verse remembering each phrase, applying it to our lives to have his power to love others and to discipline our minds to focus on God instead of what might happen in the future. So we've seen two methods of how to overcome our fears. First, God is with us. And second, that he has given us the power to overcome them. The third and final method to overcome improper fears, we will see now in Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Now, even if you know this verse by memory, I think it's good to turn to it and to think about it. Because we're going to look at this, uh, several of the words in a little bit of detail. Romans 8.28. In the context, uh, before we get to Romans 8.28, we see that the Holy Spirit is helping us in our weakness. Even that's encouraging. It doesn't really ultimately depend on me. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And he intercedes for us in prayer. And one way that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness is this promise found in Romans 828. Let's read it together. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. We know. In a world that has so much doubt about what is even true, has so much doubt about is that news even true? There's something that we can know today. Now, notice that the verse doesn't say, and we feel that God is working everything for good. Because oftentimes our feelings can be totally different uh, than what the reality is. We might feel like everything's in chaos, and yet this verse says, we know that God is working them together for good. And notice that the word, not only we know here, doesn't say we feel, it also doesn't say we understand. Because sometimes in our life, we don't understand what God is doing with various trials and anxieties and fears. Our first son, Mark Daniel, 
had transposition of the great arteries in his heart when he was born. And the doctors said we needed to do an operation. And usually that fixes it, and he'll have a normal life. They did the operation, and right as they were sewing him up, something very unusual happened. His lungs filled with blood. They kept pumping it out, and yet he died when he was five days old. We didn't feel like everything was working for good when that happened. We didn't understand exactly what God was doing. But Amy and I rested in the fact that we knew, in spite of our feelings, in spite of not understanding, that God was working that for good. Sometimes we find that out later on this planet, and sometimes it'll be in heaven. At Mark Daniel's funeral, I shared the following oriental rug illustration that helps us see what God is doing in our lives how he's weaving things together for good. An oriental rug on one side has, if you lift it up, uh, black, dark threads and knots, kind of messed up, going in all different directions, and some red ones that might be painful, and different colors going different ways. And this is an illustration of how sometimes we don't understand what God is doing. And yet on the other side of the rug, the side that we can't see, There is a creator, a designer who has a perfect design and is actually weaving all those things that we don't understand together to make a beautiful picture for his glory. We can know that, even if we don't understand it on one side of the rug. On the other side, God is working everything together for good. And that's the next important word, God. God is the one who's doing this. God is the one who is sovereign. God is the one who is almighty. God is the one who is in control. And because he's the main subject of this verse, we can now know that he's going to work it together for good. God is sovereign and in control. He does what he pleases, when he pleases, as he pleases, and it's always good, right, and just. C.H. Spurgeon said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which we can rest our heads. Oh Lord, help us to believe and to know your sovereignty in our fears. Amen. And the verse says, all things. He's causing God, the sovereign God, all things. Nothing's excluded. Isn't that wonderful in our trials and anxieties to know that everything is included in this promise, that he's going to bring it together for good? And the key verb in this verse is he works together. He's weaving that rug together to make something beautiful. And that weaving, uh, the word is in the present tense, meaning he's continually, over and over, always working every second of every day together for good. And it's in the active voice, meaning that God isn't passive. He didn't just wind it up and let it go. He's actively involved intimately in our lives. If we feel it or not, if we understand it or not, this is the great comfort 
in our fears that God is continually, not passively, actively involved in each part of our lives. I need this. We've been in a war zone. And fears can come back. And I need the Lord and you need the Lord to remind us that he is in every detail, difficulty, waving it together for good. And that Greek word here for good means what is beneficial, what is beautiful, what is excellent. Even if we don't see it, we can know it on the basis of this verse. And the million-dollar question is, what is the good that God is weaving in our lives? Is the good that we're going to have a new house someday? Is the good that we'll have a good retirement? Is the good that God's going to take care of our debt? Is the good that God's going to fix broken relationships in our family? friends. All of those things sound good to me. Is the good that he's going to continue to grow this church, bring in new leadership? What is the good that God is promising? It's a key question. And we see it in the near context in the next verse. Let's put it on the screen. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, chose in love, he has predestined to become, keywords, the good that God has for us, conformed to the image of his son. That's the good that God is doing for us. There's no greater good that God could do in any of our lives than to make us like Jesus Christ. He's conforming us to his image. Through our fears, through our trials, through our difficulties, he's chipping away at whatever is not like Christ. The great Renaissance painter and sculptor Michelangelo made a statue of stone over several years called David, after the biblical David. And that stone statue is so realistic. He's actually taking a step forward. And the way his body is moving and the muscles, even the veins on that statue are so exact. One chip in the wrong way, he would have messed up the whole statue. And people asked him and said, Michelangelo, how did you make that statue so lifelike and realistic? And it's reported that he said, it was easy. I just chipped away everything that wasn't David, so only David would be left. And God is chipping away, pruning us through our fears, through our trials, through our difficulties, so that everything that isn't like Jesus is chipped away, and only Jesus is left. Oh, Lord God, help us to be patient to trust, to obey, to wait as you chip away, sometimes painfully, that only you, Jesus, would be left.
That's our prayer. Who is this promise for? This great promise that God is working everything together for good. This is for those that love God and are called according to His purposes. This means every believer because every believer loves God. That's the great commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this isn't talking about who the elite Christians are who really love God and are called according to His purposes, the top 1%. But this is for every believer because every believer loves God and is called according to His purposes. That's the definition of a believer. So this verse or phrase is not speaking of the degree of our love, but the fact of our love. And if you know Jesus, this promise is yours that God is continually weaving everything together for good. What a hope. What a blessing. So in answering our question that we began with, how do we overcome our improper or sinful fears? We've seen three methods or three ways to do that. Remember that God is with us. Second, remember that God has given us the power not to be afraid. And thirdly, remember that all things work together for good. God is working all things together for good. Now, if you're visiting here today, we're so glad you came. But these promises, if you're a visitor and don't know Christ, or if you're a regular attender and don't know Christ, are not for you. And you should not be afraid of the list that I made at the beginning of the sermon of things that could go wrong on this earth. But you should fear God himself and hell unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, I would ask you to speak with one of the pastors or myself to learn more about what it is to repent from your sins, believe in Christ, believe in his word and follow him so that these promises would be yours. Finally, you might say, okay, Bruce, I got these three points down. But have they really made a difference in your life? I'm still in process. I still need this process, but they've made a difference in my life. In small ways, about having the strength and ability to give this sermon. That's a small thing, but the Lord has helped me. Or in big ways, February 24th, 2022, one of my children called me and said, Dad, the invasion has started. Get out. Our car was full of gas. It was just a few feet from the front door of our apartment. We could have escaped and done it. I stuttered, stepped, and wondered, should we go or should we stay? And God gave us the faith to overcome the fear to stay for the sake of the gospel. And God did something amazing. I wouldn't have ever guessed, not only stay when a war and sirens, air raid sirens are going off and explosions are starting to happen. People are panicking. The Lord gave us the strength to stay. And not only that, to go down the stairwell of our apartment building and knock on each door. Some people were there and some people weren't. And give them a flyer from our church with the address and a picture of our church on there and say to them, the war has started. Do you need refuge? Do you need shelter? Come to our church. You can find salvation here.
That's the power of God to do what naturally we would have never done. And that's the power that he gives us through these simple verses as we trust and turn to him. And I pray that the Lord would help you to do that in your anxieties, in your fears, to glorify him. Amen. Let's pray. And in Ukraine, we usually stand. So let's stand and pray. Oh God Almighty, I ask for your forgiveness when I fear and don't trust. I ask that for my friends right here, Lord, that you would help them to see your greatness, your attributes, your love, your goodness, your promise that you're with us, that you're a good shepherd, that you will support and help. Lord, that your word says that you're weaving it all together for good, even if we don't understand it or feel it. Oh God, transform us by your word. May people see Jesus in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.